Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Phoenix LiveView version 0.20.5 was released. So this is the 0.5 point release here. And in it, there's not a whole lot of big changes, but there are several that are worth calling attention to. One was a deprecation. They're deprecating the Phoenix-feedback-group, which was just introduced in the previous release. So they're kind of changing like, oh, we, we could do this differently. So like they added it and then they're like, all right, we're not actually going to do it that way. So the goal is now to move the feedback handling into Elixir and out of the DOM. That was just interesting. But it does include seven different bug fixes, a lot of contributions that were part of this release. And I just want to call out a few of these because I thought they were interesting. Like if you've had anything like these problems, definitely grab this release. There was like a fix Phoenix click away, not working when element is partially hidden. Fix Phoenix feedback for classes not being applied in some cases. Fix null form reference causing errors on some DOM patches. Those are the worst kinds of errors where you get sometimes under certain circumstances, you have this bug that is bothering you. So people have really contributed, stepped in and helped identify what these were, helped fix them. And so that's a great release to just jump on. It was noted also that this release and the previous release contain a bunch of fixes and improvements on the project's march to the 1.0 release that has been talked about for a while now. So we're looking forward to that Phoenix Live View 1.0. And in case you missed 0.20.4, the last release right before this, the highlights for that, I just I don't want to miss this because I wish these functions were there like a long time ago, but they now include toggle class and toggle attributes. So nice. I always trip that up. Like I need to turn off hide or turn on hide or whatever, or hidden, whatever that tailwind class is. Mm-hmm. And there's technically a way, like a guarantee like a lot of live view developers have like searched for this and then came to this particular github issue which somebody was like where's toggle class and then in there they give the solution of like well you can do this with like some css selectors like there's a way you can do that where it doesn't have this class like put it back on and like that was a happy path enough i'm like yeah sure you know you're right i should understand css a little bit better <laughs> and, like use these features like okay i won't complain but I guess since then, you know, they've thought about it and they they were like, you know what, let's just go ahead and do it. So toggle class and toggle attribute are now functions in LiveView to give you those, I think, a bit more readable ways of doing that, like what it says, toggling. <laughs> yeah, it's handy. I think like otherwise you're just copying this code every time to like toggle it yourself manually. It's just a nice convenience. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's one of those things that people frequently are looking for. And if you can just reduce that friction and just give them the answer that they're looking for and they're already accustomed to, then, you know, in a 1.0 release, that just, it feels better. Yeah. Next up, Herman Velasco shared a tip for printing the name of a function when the test is running. So we'll drop a link to the post where he has a little video demonstrating this. But I mean, if you're anything like me, you've probably copied and pasted and then tweaked your DBG statements because you're debugging some really weird thing and we can't be bothered to step into the pry tool. (laughs) And so the idea here is there's this global variable. I don't know if that's even the right term for it. What is this, a macro maybe? I don't know. He called it a macro, yeah. I hadn't really ever thought about it, 
Yeah, there's this magical thing, underscore, underscore, env, underscore, underscore. And on it, there's a function. So if you do underscore, underscore, env, underscore, underscore, dot function, it'll print the name of the current function it's in. And then you can just simply copy and paste that around. And you won't have to go in and tweak your atom or your label that you're putting in your DBG every time. So it's just a nice little trick to uh, save you some time if you're just doing some good old printer logger debugging like we all are not supposed to but we all just do anyways <laughs> supposed to can't tell me how to debug man i'm still an io inspect guy i still i put io inspect label here i'm here <laughs> yep. here one here two here three and you have to go change it every time so this is just speed you up a little bit just copy and paste with no tweaks so that's true yeah, ENV is pretty cool. There's another one for macros called underscore underscore collar. Mm. If you're in those depths uh, anyway and you need that, we probably don't need to tell you how to debug. <laughs> 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 All right, next up, we've come across an interesting Erlang enhancement proposal. That's the long form of EEP. It is EEP 68, and this is about JSON. Mihal Muscala is proposing to add a JSON module to the standard library. As of this recording, it's getting great responses and involvement. It's not merged. It's just a proposal. Don't take this to mean that we are getting one. We're getting JSON. Yes. (laughs) We got to debate it first. It's an EEP, which is generally about Erlang. And so, yes, this JSON module will be written in Erlang. We've got a, a link to the PR it's got a lot of examples in there. It includes streaming JSON, so that's good, right? This isn't a naive JSON parser, right? This is one that's going to be in the typical Erlang streamable, you know, kind of fashion. I'm sure that it has some like parse string, you know, where where it's all eagerly loaded into memory too. So the main reason is to fill a gap in the Erlang standard library for such a popular and widespread data format. I'm sure folks have been like super surprised, like how can Erlang and Elixir not have JSON? parsing in it well remember erlang has been around for a very long time and it was developed firstly at ericsson for telephonic systems and those systems didn't really need to know about json this was all very pre-json was ever a thing they would send you know packets of encoded information but none of that was ever json and so erlang itself just never needed to have this in the standard library well Interestingly, that has since changed, right? Since the introduction of 5G. Everyone took that vaccine and now we have 5G in our bloodstreams, which (laughs) means that we have to be able to parse JSON now. 5G's specification includes the ability to interpret packets as JSON. That's part of how it communicates now or does some certain handshakes. There's more details in the proposal about the history of it. At least that's what I'm picking up. So All that to say is that there is now a legitimate need for Erlang other than popularity, which is a legitimate reason on its own. But as far as like Ericsson's own use in OTP, there is a story to be heard about inlining JSON now, or standard libbing it. So we'll see how that goes. And this is just my opinion, but I don't figure that this is really going to change anything in the near term about how people are doing JSON parsing. Just one less dependency. That's all. I mean, sure. Yeah. But are you going to go through the trouble of removing it? It'll be a while before it really works its way in. Yeah. There is no EEP as far as I know, because there is an HTTP adapter in Erlang. <laughs> but there's no EEP about like having a new one. It's <laughs> a little bit like Mint or Finch or something. One that makes sense. Or or REC, which will, I'm sure REC will never be standard lib. But 
I have a feeling that that would have a bigger impact if that was an EEP, right? Because there's so much more contention around like, oh, which HTTP library are you using, right? But I don't come across people that are like big fans of a particular JSON parsing library, you know? They just get one in there because they just need one and they just go for it. And there's some JSON parsing libraries that niff out to like C or Rust. I would guess that they would probably still do that for performance reasons, right? Like, I don't suspect that the Erlang implementation is going to be providing that much more benefit other than not needing a library, right? Not needing a NIF. But for the folks that are trying to NIF out to a JSON parsing library, they're probably doing it for performance. Anyway, interesting. We'll see how it goes. And it could go nowhere. There is a pull request. This is on a GitHub repository, Erlang slash EEP. You might actually enjoy just starring that and watching the repo just so you can keep apprised of any, everything that's being proposed and learn when we do, if it gets accepted and, and learn about timetables and all. I noticed in Mihao's notes that there have been previous attempts to bring JSON into OTP and most notably it was EEP 18, but they were ultimately not adopted for various reasons. However, he was saying, you know, this might be time to take a fresh look at this. And one of the things I thought was interesting is, I think you mentioned this a little bit, David, but the idea of being able to parse a JSON document from a complete string, like you have the entire, like a, a get response or something like that. The whole JSON body is present and you want to parse that. That's one type. And then there's another type where you do a streaming interpretation, where maybe the JSON file is too large to even load into RAM, or you're just doing it on the fly as chunks come in and you're just wanting to do partials. And he said that this approach tries to do a hybrid of both. So allowing some of that streaming aspect too, which is quite a bit more complex. You don't have complete ending tags or anything like that. That's an interesting reason to say you might want to use this library should it get merged. I'm hopeful that it, it gets approved and they, they inline it because I, I don't know why, but I just feel embarrassed sometimes <laughs> 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 that we don't have one. It's not for you know a good reason. It's just like, I don't know. It's just so ubiquitous. Like, why not? I would say there's one reason against having it, which is that it's an interpreter, right? When you're doing any kind of parsing and interpreting like that, that is a common vector for attacks or just some type of something goes wrong with the interpreting of the data. And there's been many security vulnerabilities and exploits among many different languages just because of JSON or other or XML or what, you know, some type of parser like that, that's complex. If that were part of the OTP, then if there were a security vulnerability, you'd have to rev the whole thing with a security patch versus like a library. True. That's not grounds. I don't think, cause we deal with SSL, we deal with SSH. There's an SSH app, there's an FTP app in there. <laughs> you know, we yep. do parsing of integers and floats. That mean, those are much more like smaller things. Like those, those are, units right but it still doesn't like address that the fact that it's so ubiquitous like i mean I, I get it like i would rather upgrade a library for a security vulnerability than the whole the whole platform right like sure i'll just like on linux systems i'll just update open ssl i don't have to update all of ubuntu or whatever right <laughs> to fix it but oh, i don't know i guess apple does that for mac os right yeah any, anytime there's security vulnerabilities they bump the whole os you can't just pick and choose it's true normally you know like ah all right well interesting we'll see where it goes fly.io it's a great place to run elixir apps 
With many global regions, a private network that makes it easy to cluster your app, and a powerful CLI, it's something you should really try out. Experience it for yourself at fly.io. Moving on, next up, we saw a new library from Tyler Young called example underscore test. So it is a utility for defining very readable example-based tests in Elixir. So it's actually inspired by example tests in the Cucumber testing library. And I've used Cucumber like years and years ago with Ruby. And I had not seen this type of example-based test in there, at least at the time that I was using. It's probably an addition that came later. So what does all this mean? What does this do? So if you check out the image in his X post, you know, his, his Twitter tweet, he has a great example. So if you imagine that you're creating an ASCII character table like a markdown style table of ASCII characters with columns and rows where the values in each row turn into parameters to a test. So if a test table has four rows, then the test will be run four times with each row being substituted as, you know, each column within each row being a data value that gets passed into the test. So his example was for coupon logic in like an e-commerce site. It includes an Elixir map with how much is being spent across the different categories of, you know, where the shopping can happen, and then an optional coupon code being given, and if the order should receive free shipping or not, based on is the total amount sufficient? Maybe it doesn't hit the dollar amount to get free shipping automatically, but they have a coupon code that's valid. That one should do it. You know, all these kinds of scenarios where you want to see what is being tested and what's expected What's really cool is it's just super easy to read it all as opposed to having a whole series of different tests where you have to try and visually pull it all together. It puts it all in like a little spreadsheet right there of this is what we're testing and what it all looks like and what's expected too. So I thought that was pretty neat. So it's a new library called example underscore test. We got links to it in the show notes. Next up, if you've been waiting all this time for a GPU on Fly, well, the wait is over. Fly GPUs are now generally available. They announced that you can now spin them up with the following cards. Then they listed out a few cards that honestly I've never even heard about. I was expecting to see, you know, NVIDIA or something here, but there's Amper or A100. So there's like 40 gig, 80 gig, 48 gig with different specs on them. Then there's Lovelace L40S. I don't even know what that means. What does this mean, Mark? These are all NVIDIA cards. And they are all really expensive. <laughs> you thought RTX was expensive. Try the NVIDIA Lovelace. Yeah, these are so high-end, I never even heard of them. So, so these are like architectures of like NVIDIA GPUs, like the consumer-grade ones of like RTX 4090, all the way to like RTX, like the earlier ones, like 3060s or something. Like those generations are just using different architectures. And they name those architectures. These are named Amper or Loveless, or things like that. It just, you know, computers, we, we like to name things, dumb things sometimes, right? But like, <laughs> th these are just architectural classes. And, and they don't really equate very well to like what you're used to in your gaming PC or something, right? But those that are doing any GPU stuff, they know what these are. They're good ones. Yes, just as a, an example, the Amper ones are not actually capable of generating graphics like you could you know plug in an hdmi card you know like port in the back like you can't play games on these like the nvidia one i just pulled up on amazon the amper 
A100 40 gigabyte RAM card is $8,500. Easy. You know, you could shop around. Amazon's probably not the best place to buy it. What I'm saying is these are high quality top end cards available that you can start using on fly.io machines. What's interesting though is you have the ability to spin up machines and shut them down too when you're not using them. So if you're just wanting to start working with AI or machine learning and you're not looking for full-time production use, hey, it's a great time to start spinning up machines, doing your experimentation and shutting them down. So it becomes much more affordable too. I've got an article I'm really excited about. Can't wait to release it. As soon as Bumblebee releases with a new thing, then I'll show how you can use this in some really fun ways with Elixir. Nice. We love new things. Coming back to the Amper versus Loveless thing, just so we can equate this to consumer cards that folks may know a little bit more. Amper is like the RTX 3000 series. Loveless is the RTX 4000 series. Just to give you an idea, these are very different from those consumer-based ones. Like Mark said, like these are designed for machine learning. They're not for graphics processing necessarily. All right, next up, we got a new library that came across our desks, our newscasting desks that we all sit at right now. This one's called Mercury. It's from Andres Alejos. He shared his newly released library called Mercury. I think I'm pronouncing it right. It could be Mercury. Who knows? You may be familiar with Postman. You guys ever use Postman? I have. It's been many years. Long time. There's lots of Postman-like tools out there. Insomnia is one. I think Paw is another. There's a bunch of them. They're tools to write queries, like HTTP queries, like posts and gets and deletes and all to a website that's usually a UI-based way of constructing those requests. And Andres created a Postman-like client for a livebook keynote cell, and that's Mercury. It's an interactive tool for writing queries, running them, viewing the results, all in Elixir, all in LiveView and in Livebook. It even includes support for HTTP client plugins like rec plugins. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> like at face value, you're like, oh, cool. Like it's an HTTP client in LiveView or in Livebook. But you got to look at the video. Like just go to the library. He's got a, a video or a GIF on the README. There's just so much involved here. <laughs> like you could drop down get, you can assign to a variable, you can drop down, select a client. Rec is in the example. You know, and then LiveView already has like the collapsible map tree, right? So you get the rec response once it's done. It's all collapsed. You can expand it because there is a lot of information in that struct. They've got tabs for params, headers, options, rec steps, rec plugins. You can turn off and on like certain headers or params or something. Like it's very exhaustive in its features, you know. Typical Elixir releases are like, hey, I got something out the door. It's very basic in this very moment, but it works, you know. But <laughs> first time I saw this, it's just like, oh, it's like 100% done now, <laughs> 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 which is kind of cool. Good job, Andres. I'm sure there's lots more to do in this. Maybe there's room for more clients to be implemented, whatever needs to happen. But this is looking pretty incredible. He's got a roadmap there as well, so you can see where he's wanting to go with that. And last up, just some updates on Gleam. So Louis Pilfold, the creator of Gleam, gave a talk at FOSDEM. It was a past, present, future talk about Gleam. So we have a link to that in the show notes. And then Gleam Lang also announced a version 1.0.0.0 RC1. So they are 
strong on the path to 1.0, reaching the RC phase. We have links to that in the show notes with the change log and everything. It's just really neat to see Louis' work continuing to go forward with Gleam. And it's really exciting. You know, Gleam, if you're not familiar with it, it is a static language implemented on the Beam. So it compiles into Erlang, but it is a static type language. So it's very interesting. Love to see the progress here. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.